Welcome to River Life Podcasts. We're a church family embracing the Father's presence, releasing empowered people to declare and demonstrate Christ's kingdom. We trust that God would use what you hear today to bless and grow you so that you would be a blessing to those around you. For more information about River Life Baptist Church, go to riverlifechurch.org.au or find us on social media. Joe, it's so good to be with you today, and it's an exciting season. We're one week till Christmas. Yes, exciting. Come on, how good is that? But growing up for me, it wasn't Christmas that was the most exciting point of the year. I, don't, I, I like Christmas, I don't, I'm not a Grinchy, but it wasn't Christmas. Actually, it wasn't even my birthday. It wasn't holidays. There was this thing every year that I was so excited for, every year. I just couldn't wait. Uh, in my later years, it became the first day of the first test in Brisbane, but it wasn't that growing up. It was something even more uh, obscure and obtuse that you might think, oh my goodness, really? That's what you looked forward to, but this was my life, so you know, it's what it was. Every year, there was just this promised moment that I could not wait for, and it was that kind of windy afternoon in August where mum and dad would come and pick me up and we would go to the Ecker. The Ecker. If you don't know what the Ecker is, if you're not a local, uh, the Ecker is short for the exhibition. It's uh, the Royal National Association's annual agricultural show that will be held in Brisbane every year. We even got a holiday locally. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it doesn't sound interesting and hence why it's a weird thing. But every year, the promise of going to the Ecker, of experiencing the overpriced, overpromised food, the wood chopping, the fireworks, the precision driving in the big ring, the cattle paraded around every year. That would be the thing that I was excited about, which probably explains some things about my life, which might make sense to some of you now. But that was the excitement. That was the thing I looked forward to so much, the promise that we would go, that we would experience all those things. And I was just thinking about what we've been talking about in the lead up to Christmas. Today, I want to talk about those promises that capture hold of our hearts that maybe even go beyond uh, the rational, reasonable response we might have to something. And my my thought was, what are the promises that you always look forward to in your life? What are the things, the regular things that come up? And and what are the long-term promises in your life that have this longing in your heart, that have this anticipation, this eagerness that that thing's going to happen? What are those things for you? I want to unpack that a little bit today because as we've been talking about this, this promise of the light of the world, Jesus who's coming, there's this beautiful promise that God invites us into. And today I want to kind of help us understand that a little bit and stand firm upon the foundation that Christmas is this moment, out of moments, this time in history where God's promises are demonstrably fulfilled, which then opens the door for us to start to trust And believe that the promises of God are real and true and maybe we're going to touch our lives. That's where we're going to go. We'll see if we get there. How does that sound? Good. Okay. Great. We're going to go on this journey together. Because the promises of God start right back at the start of the story. So today we're going to cover the eternal gospel. We'll go back to Genesis and we're just going to work our way through today. So if you've got the free Bible, you know, you might have to crack the seal and read through with me. No, don't do that. Give it away to someone in your life who needs to hear the word of God. Today, we're talking about the promises of God that started right back in the beginning of the story. See, God not only creates everything, 
everything we see around us, the world that we live in. He does not only create that, but he places humanity at the centre of his creation. The pinnacle, the most important part, because we're made in his image and we're made to be in relationship with him. He, he crafts this place for us to be in, to reflect him and to be co-workers with him in the midst of this. Yes, if you're familiar with the story, it all goes horribly wrong. Creation, humanity rebels against God. We step out of relationship. We reject his perfect love, his personal presence with us. We decide we can do things our way. And in the midst of that, God promises right then and there. I know that you've done the wrong thing, but I'm going to set everything right one day. And then right back in Genesis chapter 3, we get this promise that God is not going to leave us nor forsake us, but he's going to fix the mess that we've made of our lives. The first promise, the first pronouncement of the good news of God, as the deceiver has come in and drawn our attention away from God, God promises this in the presence of the man and the woman and the serpent. He says, I'll put enmity between you, deceiver, and this woman. And between you, your offspring, and her offspring, he, her offspring, will bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And in this kind of mysterious little poem, God promises that the things that are broken, he's going to set right, he's going to address, he's going to fix up. God's always desired to be in relationship with us, and when we step out of it, He's always working to draw us and make a way for us to come back into it. Anything that stands in the way of that, he's promising to remove. And he promised one would come who would make that possible. So you would think that then you just turn the page in Genesis and he fixes the problem and it's all over, but there's a long wait. There is a significantly long wait. We start to read through the story of the scriptures and we start to see God's plan unfold and there's, there's more promises made about God who will set everything right and there's, there's more mistakes made by humanity. He picks a people who will carry this promise into the world and he says, you come and be my people and I will be your God. I will bless you. I will give you a place where you belong. I will be with you. All you have to do is just love me first. And if you've read the story, they choose not to. It's like, hang on, it's this checky, checkered, rocky road that the people of God walk on where they, their hearts are close for God and then they're far away. They're fickle in their affections. They don't stay close to the one who loves them most. Sounds a little familiar, probably, to our own lives. People of God, called by his name, walk in disobedience for him. They go through rejecting him and choosing their own king, not God as their king. They end up going through literally hell on earth. They're subjugated by foreign powers. They're conquered. They're put into slavery time and time and time again. They find themselves in captivity, taken away from the promised land that God blessed them with, the promises of God. Seemingly, they're not sure where they fit anymore. And in the midst of all of this, in the, the scriptures, we find these couple of voices right in the middle of the book. The prophets, 
These people who heard God, who encountered his presence, who experienced the power and the the vision of what God had in his heart for his people. And, And they start to speak into the darkness and the brokenness. This morning, I want to just stop by a guy called Isaiah. Probably one of the most well-known of the Old Testament prophets. This guy who was really familiar with the the ruling elite of the nation of Israel. He was a part of the royal court, probably one of the royal family, maybe. But he has this profound encounter with God and becomes like a mouthpiece to start to speak out what's on God's heart for his people. In the midst of the darkness, God used Isaiah to start to speak of the promises that were still coming. Let's turn to Isaiah. If you've got your Bibles with you, let's go to chapter 9 of Isaiah. Now pick up in verse 2 for a moment. Isaiah has heard from the Lord... And he starts to speak out what the Lord's put on his heart. He says, It's the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. What I think is really powerful about what Isaiah has here is it's not just an idea that he's got. If you just rewind a little bit into into chapter 8, verse 11, he talks about the fact that the Lord appeared to him. His hand, his strong hand of the Lord was upon Isaiah. And he starts to speak to him and starts to show him what's going on in the world. He starts to unpack the the state of people's hearts and the state of people's affections and, and what's going on. He says this thing in verse 22, which sets the context of what's happening in chapter 9. He says, these people, everyone around, they will not look to God, they will look to the earth but behold distress and darkness the gloom of anguish and they'll be thrust into thick darkness so none of this is a surprise to God and in the midst of that this is a happy little thing to talk about on a Sunday morning isn't it in the midst of that he then starts to speak out the heart of God it says in chapter 9 verse 1 there'll be no gloom for the one who's in anguish He starts to unpack how this is going to happen. He picks up into verse 2. The people who walked in darkness, they've seen this great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, those who turned their face away from God just before, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. See, everything that had just happened in chapter 8 where it's gone from bad to worse, God's going to start to undo and restore. It says in verse 4, For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you've broken them as on the day of Midian. Like you can imagine when, when there's people occupying your country and God says, their authority's going to be broken. It's going to be overturned like the things I've done before. Oh, you can imagine hope starts to, starts to well up. Verse 5, for every boot of the trampling warrior in battle, tumult, and every garment rolled in blood, we burned as fuel for the fire. He's going to clean up the mess of war. Then verse 6, for to us a child is born. For to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. 
of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Oh man, it's like a cold drink of water on a hot day, right? Imagine that. Imagine sitting in, in that brokenness and aloneness and have someone to say, God sees it and God's not satisfied with it the way it is. I think this is the heart of Christmas. That light will break into darkness. That light will form a place where oppression is broken. Where people start to flourish. And where peace is personified in the one who establishes peace. This is the invitation that is laid out for people who are suffering and stuck and lost in darkness. So depending on your perspective, these words are written any number of centuries before the birth of Jesus. God has spoken. He's laid out the promise. The challenge has been always and continues to be, do we have eyes to see the promise of God in the way that he gives it? Do we have eyes to see what it is he's doing and how he wants to work in our lives and to our lives? See, the timing for Jesus' birth is absolutely perfect. God planned it absolutely perfectly where the world was just the right amount of connected, where people could travel with this good news, that the, the setting for God's promise was right when light needed to shine, when it could be communicated, when the promises of God were right for the picking. God steps in. He sends himself. He puts himself in this world to a world in need, a world with oppression everywhere a world with devastating taxation with slavery with hostile occupation with sickness and suffering with war all all around with persecution happening there was the need for the promise and for something to change so God steps in right at the right moment He comes as a baby, a child, supposed to be the wonderful counselor, but he's a newborn, vulnerable baby, supposed to be mighty God, but he's born in a stable. If you caught the midweek devotion on Wednesday morning, Pastor Ian talked about the the paradox of Christmas, and this is the paradox of Christmas, right? The promised one of God comes, and yet it doesn't look like everyone expected it to look. Surely there would be some kind of amazing fireworks display like at the Eka. Maybe there'd be some massive celebration like we're going to see in the year ahead as a king is crowned. Maybe there'd be something massive. He said he's going to set everything right, but he takes thousands of years to do it. Why? He's going to be ruler of all, but he's born to a teenage girl in the backwaters of occupied territory thousands of years ago. This is the paradox of how God works. But when we take God at his word, we have eyes to see his promise. What are the promises that God's speaking to you about?
the promises of God, they, they continue to be on offer to us. When we, we, we see the birth of Jesus, and then we get all of the New Testament writings that come after his life and his ministry, after his death and after his resurrection, and, and all these people who have, have understood the promises through history, who have, have read the promises of God as old, who have, who have now wrestled with this Jesus seems to be the fulfillment of that, but we don't really understand how that works. This, this writer Paul in the New Testament starts to, to wrestle with what it looks like to, to sit with all of this. And he says this in Romans 8, he kind of unpacks it all, but the bit that's kind of in the middle of it that really captures my attention, that kind of expresses it well, I think, is he says in Romans 8 verse 22 that we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. He's talking about until Jesus is, is, has come and the spirit has been given that Jesus has done what he's come to do. It's like there's this anticipation like waiting on a baby. Like it's been painful and it's wrestling and it's like this groaning that we can't even put into words, but there's this eager anticipation that something's coming that's going to change everything. That maybe God is going to set everything right. Paul paints this beautiful picture. If you haven't read Romans chapter 8 before, go and read it and just, just drink it in. It's amazing. But Paul writes about this, this awaited revealing of God to us. The one who came and dwelt with us and wants to dwell in us because of what Jesus did in his life and ministry, which began their fulfillment of the first Christmas. These are the promises of God. And I, the paradox continues because the promise is realized, but the promise isn't fully finished. And we sit in this place of joy and hope and experience of God's love, and yet it's not fully finished yet, right? There's still this longing in our hearts that not everything is set right, that he's going to come and fix it someday. He's not finished yet. We have this desire in our hearts, this longing that things should be better. That we look around and we think darkness shouldn't win, right? People should be worth something. That future generations shouldn't be worried about whether someone on the other side of the planet is going to press a button and blow something up, that we don't know what's going to happen there, that they're never going to be able to afford to do anything, that, that the world might just shut down and implode or explode or fall apart or they'll be stuck where they are. There should, there should be this promise. We know that there's this longing in our hearts like a, like a subconscious groan. Oh. What I said at the start, God designed us to be with him. God created us to be in relationship with him. And when the light entered the darkness, he proved himself faithful to his promises. So we can start to trust that maybe the God who will do what he said once will continue to do what he's promised. So he's given us this taste of hope and joy and we experience it here and now and he invites us to believe that he's still working and he's still going. The promise of Christmas is not that it happened once and he's finished it, that he started something that he's going to finish. This is the invitation that we can be a part of, that we can have hope and joy because of Christmas. The prophet Isaiah just a little bit before that passage we read out before in chapter 9, in chapter 7, 
There's this other beautiful poem that he writes that talks about the promises of God that kind of touches on this. It says in Isaiah 7, 14, it says, Therefore the Lord, he's talking about Yahweh, the, the God of Israel, the Lord will give you a sign. He himself will do it for you. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall be called Emmanuel. Shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel, this rich Hebrew word that means God with us. Imagine that, the promise of God coming to be back with his people, setting everything right again. That's what he wanted to do at the start, wanted to be with us, to know us. Isaiah promised it. Back in Genesis 3, God promised it. Paul wraps it up again in another letter that he wrote to, to the Corinthians. He says this in, first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. For God, who said, let light shine in the darkness, has shone in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I love that, the promised light. The light is Jesus. And the light of God lets us see Jesus. Again, it's this beautiful paradox. He is the light and he gives us light. But this is what God does. This is his promise. Like John said a few weeks ago, like the moon reflecting the sun. It's not the light of our lives, but it's God's light in us and reflecting off us that actually lets us see what God is doing. That we can see God then others will see and experience God as well. But why is this important? Why does this matter? Well, on December 18, 2022, a week before Christmas, this time next week, you'll probably be finishing up a service here and heading home for a meal or to someone's house, a loved one or a close friend or a family member. It matters because God's not finished setting everything right. It matters because in our lived experience, God's promises still hold true. What he started, he's going to finish. He said, I will break darkness and I will restore light. I will be the one who sets everything right. Paul continues to write to those people in Corinth in 2 Corinthians. This setting right thing that God's doing, this promise of God that exists for each one of us who calls him Lord. He writes this, all this, this new creation thing is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and has given us this ministry of reconciliation. What is that? Well, that is in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. He was restoring everyone to him. He was bringing everything right. Not counting their trespasses, their sins against them. This is what God does. And he entrusts to those who follow him, us, this message of reconciliation. That's why the lights come at Christmas. He created us to be with him and rebellion and disobedience, sin broke that. Darkness is the result, but God came. Light stepped into darkness to bring us back to Him, the light.
That's why there's this longing in our hearts. The things shouldn't be the way they are when the pressures of life hit. We go, God, I'm just not happy about this. This isn't how it should be. It's not that my life should be easy without trial, but there should be some purpose and hope that I can see through what's in front of me. And I know that there's something valuable about my life. There's something valuable about what I'm here to do, that my life counts for something. That's how you're designed. He's made you in His image. If you were here at the extravaganza over the past few days, hopefully you saw there was this big sign right out the front. If you, haven't, if you weren't here, you might have seen it on our website. It just says, Jesus, who you say he is makes all the difference. When the light stepped in, it invites us to respond. Who do you say Jesus is? Is Jesus the light of your life? Is he the one who sets everything right? Is he just a concept that you've heard of? Is it something that you were taught about at school, but you haven't ever really thought about him as a real person who wants to step in and bring light into the dark places? Is he the one who brings you hope? Because if there's a longing in your heart that things should be different, then who you say Jesus is makes all the difference. I wonder, I just wonder, part of the wrestle we have at Christmas, maybe this is just for me, but there's this longing, right, that, that when we come to these important times, these moments in the year, in our lives, you don't want it just to be another fleeting moment. I don't want it to pass by so quick that I don't register it, that it's just another thing and I tick it off. It's just another Christmas that's happened and this is my 46th one and next year will be my 47th. I've almost got to 50 Christmases and Easter's and all of these things. That these things shouldn't be disposable moments. They shouldn't be consumables. That there's something significant to this anchor point in our year, an anchor point in our lives, that there's this significant moment that God calls us into all the time to know Him, to encounter Him, to experience Him. And sometimes I struggle to even put it into words. There's a, a deep heart longing. God, there's something more going on and I want to know it. And I want to experience it. And as we start to know Him and experience His love and His presence in our lives, He starts to reveal that to us. We start to see things as they truly are from His eyes. Things start to make sense. Things start to, to fit together. That this has to be purpose, that these moments matter. I struggle to put it into words because this is part of what God does in us that actually goes beyond words. But today He wants to invite you to experience that, to, to bring into your life something that goes maybe beyond words. And we use this language we've got to describe it about salvation or freedom or peace or joy, but it goes beyond this, this peace that goes beyond any understanding. This joy inexpressible that we have when Jesus is the Lord of our life, the light of the world. I'd like to just take a moment and let you respond to him, but I want to read you something. So I'm going to ask just the team just to lower the lights a little. 
I want this just to be a moment for you to just reflect with the Lord. As I was praying, the Lord just reminded me of this, this um, section of a book by C.S. Lewis called The Weight of Glory. And I think for me, it just sums up this, this promise that God gives us that it goes beyond words. as I read this, just reflect on what the Lord is speaking to you about. Lewis writes, in, in speaking of this desire for this far off country, this longing for a place we haven't been, this thing that we find in ourselves even right now, there's a certain shyness he says, I'm almost committing an indecency. I'm trying to kind of rip open an inconsolable secret in each one of us. There's a secret which is so intense in its longing. It's, it almost hurts in its goodness that we give it names like it's just being romantic or nostalgic or it's just like a passionate adolescent. But it's actually a secret which pierces with such sweetness that when we start to talk about it or even when we start to think it's going to come up in conversation, we get awkward. We kind of laugh at ourselves. It's a secret we cannot hide and a secret we cannot tell, but we desire to do both. We cannot tell it because it's a desire for something that has never actually really fully appeared in our experience. We can't hide it because our experience constantly suggests it. Experiences, these things that we see in our lives, they're beautiful, they're memories, they're good, they're images, they're representations of what we really desire. But they aren't actually the thing itself. If we mistake them for the thing itself, we miss the point, we turn them into idols. Things that we've experienced and the things that we have around us are not the thing, the one self. They're only the scent of a flower we haven't yet found, the echo of a tune that we have not heard. It is the news from a country we have never yet visited. This is the longing of Christmas that we've tasted and we've seen, but there's something more that the promise of God is still to be fulfilled. He's not finished yet and we've tasted and we've seen and the songs point towards it but the songs are not in and the word points towards it but the word is not in it is him and my prayer today is that if you don't know him and that longing in your heart is stirred up in this moment that is the Lord Jesus inviting you to know him and if you've been apart from him and it's been a long wait for hope and joy. Today is an opportunity to find that hope and that joy again, that longing of your heart. And if you know Him and you walk close to Him, today is the opportunity for hope to be renewed, refreshed, revived and restored because joy has come in the light of God. 
Thanks for listening to this River Life podcast. Make sure you subscribe to keep up to date with all the latest content. If this podcast has raised any questions for you, contact us via church at riverlifechurch.org.au or through Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening.